Uh, well, this morning we are continuing our series, uh, series that we've been walking through since September called The Word. And we began this series back in September, like I said, where we've been walking through the different varieties and functions of the Bible and what we learn about who God is and who we are in relation to that. And so over the past couple of months, we've been walking through the topics uh, and genres within the Bible. We've been looking at the law, we've been looking at prophecies, psalms, wisdom literature, and all of it, like I said, points to who God is and who our deepest desire is for what our deepest desire is for and need in this life. And all of these things point towards the fact that we need relationship with our Creator. Now, this Advent season, we've been continuing through the Word, but we've been looking at the specific, or more specifically, the incarnation, where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And more specifically, we've been looking at how Jesus has answered the question, who are you? Right? Sometimes we just, in its simplest form, want to ask him the most basic question of who are you really to us and who would you say that you are? And because there's seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am something, and he follows it up with, I am the bread of life, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And each of these seven statements points to the fact that God, or that Jesus is God, that he is one with the creator, that he isn't just a, a prophet who is sharing some good information or news, but he is, in fact, God himself, as he says each of these I am statements. And we get glimpses of the Old Testament here where Moses met God at the burning bush, and he asked God's name, and God responded, I am who I am. Yahweh is the title and the name that he gave Moses. And as Jesus, again, reveals these I am statements, we learn about who he is and how he is more like God. And last week, Pastor Dustin walked us through John 10, where we learn that Jesus is the gate. He is the good shepherd, right? And we saw that life can only be found in Jesus and through Jesus, right? He's not just the way to everlasting life, but he's also the guide for how we get there, who speaks to us, who calls us each by name. And he's not only that, but he has so many more things than that. And as we continue walking through these I am statements, uh, today we're going to be looking at the place in John 6 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me. Uh, we're going to be reading a very large chunk from uh, John chapter 6. We're going to be starting at verse 25. Uh, and just while you're flipping there, uh, it's important to notice that the crowd or the point of the story which we're going to be reading today, uh, it's important to notice who this crowd is that Jesus is speaking to. So if you notice at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's maybe the title in your Bible there for the story. Uh, but it's, it's this crowd that come to Jesus to hear him teach. And as they are sitting in a multitude on the plain hearing Jesus, uh, he has compassion on them and realizes they don't have food to eat, and they're going to go hungry, and the town's pretty far away, so they're going to be starving, right? So Jesus says, well, let's feed them. And so we, we get the story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus multiplies some barley loaves and fish, enough to feed 5,000 and have 12 basketfuls of leftover food afterwards. And so after this story, 
they, they try to make Jesus king. They recognize that he is the true prophet, the Messiah, the Savior, and so they try to make him king, and he withdraws from them. And he and his disciples, they cross the lake of the Sea of Galilee, uh, and they go off to Capernaum, and from there, this crowd follows Jesus, and then this is where we begin the story today. So they'd been fed at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus left them, crossed the sea, and then they followed him over to Capernaum. And that's where we're going to read our story this morning. So John chapter 6, starting at verse 25, we're going to read all the way to chapter, verse 70 here. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you had the loaves and had you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And at this the Jews began to grumble because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one who has seen the father except the, no one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world." Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? A devil. It's an interesting passage that we read here. As Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life, we understand that there is an element of him being our satisfaction and our sustenance in life, the things that we turn to for joy, for, for fulfillment in life, but also for what we need in our day-to-day. Now, even as I mention that word, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm sure that each of us has a different, but has a, at least I'm sure some idea of what would bring you the most satisfaction in life, right? So it's, it's the answer to this question, right? I would be satisfied in life if only I had blank. So what would that be for you, right? Is it, is it a lack of work if you had enough money to continue on in life doing whatever you wanted but didn't have to live under the subjugation of a, a job, right? Or what is it if you never had to cook or clean again? Ah, there we go. Yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. Now, that's what the crowd was thinking that day to a certain degree when they came to Jesus, right? They knew that he could feed them bread out of thin air. They knew that this was the creator. They even wanted to make him king because that was their expectations. They wanted him to come and rule over the kingdom. But that's not what Jesus came to do. And so as they come to him asking for bread again, they simply just want their needs to be met, to be satisfied in life, right? They're thinking, hey, if we never had to work for food again, could you imagine how amazing life would be? Like if we never had to cook I mean, sometimes that's a lot of fun. For some of us, we enjoy it. But what if you ever nev- never had to work for your food? It was just given to you. You could do whatever you wanted in life, right? There's a certain element of that being true where wouldn't it be better? God just gave us food all the time so we didn't have to worry about these things. Right? They had the mindset that if they got what they wanted from Jesus, then they would be satisfied. But... I don't know if you've noticed this, for something that you've desired for, longed after for a while, if you've ever gotten that thing, if you've ever had that desire satisfied, have you ever noticed that it's usually not as satisfying as you want it to be? Right? Getting what we want is hardly ever satisfying, in fact, which is ironic, because 
It's what we've set our sights on, right? It, it comes up short, our dreams that we get fulfilled. It doesn't live up to our expectations, right? And soon enough, it isn't enough to satisfy us. We want more. We want better. We want bigger, right? And so next time, instead of the crowd coming to Jesus saying, we want more food, right? It would have been more. It would have, Jesus, we want steak and potatoes. <laughs> Cheesecake as well. Nanaimo bars, there we go. But when they ask Jesus to do the same miracle, to feed them all again, he doesn't just give them what they want, right? He doesn't just tell them, okay, I'll give you this bread again and then you guys will be happy, right? No, he tells them what they actually need in life. is not just more food, but a type of bread that will bring them a satisfaction in life that will last them unto eternity, right? It's, it's similar language that that John is using here is in John chapter 4, where he's speaking to the woman at the well. And he says, you know, come to me for this living water, and I will give it to you, and you will never be thirsty again. And he's using this, this analogy of, of a physical thing to point to a spiritual truth, right? And I think he uses this analogy of hunger and thirst because it's so relatable, right? I'm sure half of us are sitting here thinking about what's coming next for lunch. But at the same time, it's something we all experience. We all know what it is like, and we know that it is something that comes back again and again and again and again, right? No matter how much you eat in one sitting, you're always going to be hungry a few hours later. It doesn't change. And that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you keep coming to me for just the things that you think are going to satisfy your immediate wants then you're going to be always disappointed in life. You're never going to actually be satisfied. You're going to be left empty at the end of it every time. I'd rather give you something that is going to satisfy you and last. Right? Jesus says, in me is life. In John 10, verses 10, Jesus says that I have come so that you would have life and life to the fullest. That is who our God is. And so he tells people, I am the bread of life. I won't leave you hungry and for many people in the crowd that day, because of how well they were trained in the Hebrew scriptures and understood the law and the Bible, for many of them, it would have been a reminder to Isaiah 55, right? Come all you who are thirsty, thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me that your soul may live. Right? Jesus says, I could give you what you want. I have the ability to. And the beautiful thing is God does provide our very real needs in those places at times. But he says, can you trust me that I will give you what you truly need? Now, there's a few places in the Bible where Jesus not only uses hunger and thirst, but also uses bread as an analogy to relate to humanity of who he is. And he uses it to point to his own divinity at times, right? He says here in John 6 that I am the bread of life, right? In other places, Jesus says man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Jesus at the communion table took bread, broke it, saying this is my body given for you. Right? He prays the words, give us today our daily bread, and like I said, he's using this physical analogy, physical things like hunger, like bread and food, to describe a spiritual truth behind these things of describing what our need is like. 
So in the same way that our bodies cannot live without bread, it was such a staple food for this time and culture and period, and still is for some of us today, but in that same way that we need bread every single day to survive, we need spiritually Jesus to fill us, to satisfy us. Right? Even the act of eating was an incredibly relational practice, right? We feast together at weddings, right? We come together at funerals around the table of food. We share potlucks together. We have dessert nights. Babies, right? Meals for a, an infant are incredibly relational, right? They have to eat by getting skin-to-skin contact with their mother's breast. It's a beautiful relational way that we can engage through food, and it gathers us and builds relationship. It it invites us to come together, and in a similar way, Jesus, as the bread of life, he brings us together in relationship. He he invites us to partake in the greatest feast that there is, and one that will bring us true life and satisfaction, not one that's going to leave us empty after that. Now, trusting God, I realize is what it's going to take for us to get there, though. Steps of faith moving forwards. And it's something that we'd all like to be better at, I'm sure, trusting God. Like, no one would say that's a bad thing to do. But it's sometimes mean following God to places that we don't understand. It means taking steps of faith, stepping out where we don't quite see what the answer is, trusting God that he will take care of us, that he will for us and not against us. And one problem with a passage like this as we read it today is that we can read it in our own cultural understanding of this text, right? We read it and even as Jesus says this, my flesh is true bread and my, my blood is true drink for us, our minds are drawn to communion, right? And over the table where Jesus even says, you know, my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. And when Jesus says this, that's just a natural connection for us. But for the crowd that day, that's not where their minds went, right? Communion hadn't happened at this point in history. And so when Jesus says, this bread is my flesh given for all, I'm sure many of the people would have known that he wasn't actually talking about cannibalism, right? They joked about it here, but it was a hard teaching. They still didn't understand what he was trying to say through that. Right? Jesus' words were offensive. Right? And that's the reason why John tells us that many turned away. Many turned their backs on him and stopped following him because it was a hard teaching. I like the words of Timothy Keller. He's a late Presbyterian pastor. He once said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You know, the crowd that came to Jesus that day was looking for him to fulfill all of their own desires and their whims and wants, right? And in response, Jesus says, follow me, right? I am, I am the good shepherd of Psalm 23 who can lead you to places of no longer being in want. But will you follow me knowing I won't always give you what you want? Can you trust me in relationship knowing that I will give you what is good and what is best? Right? Because sometimes Jesus isn't easy to follow because he confronts our pursuit of things that we need or we think we need to be satisfied in life and instead reveals that true contentment is in pursuing him. He says, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. At other times, it's hard to follow Jesus because we don't understand him. Much like the crowd that day, it's difficult to understand the words that Jesus speaks to us at times. 
But do you notice as well, the crowd knew a lot about Jesus, but they didn't really know him. Right? The crowd knew his mother and father. They knew that it was Joseph and Mary that were his parents. They knew where he came from, but they didn't actually know him in relationship. Right? Knowing about Jesus isn't how we find satisfaction. We find our sustenance, our satisfaction, our life as we make him our daily bread. Right? It comes through relationship with him by taking in the bread of life, by chewing it and digesting, right? by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And yes, Jesus asks us to go to unfamiliar places. He tells us to do things that are uncomfortable and leads us into those places that mess up our plans and our expectations for life. And that's exactly what we need. So can we trust God in those places that he's leading us well and for good? So I want to end off with a few promises of Jesus reminding us how good he truly is. And Psalm 139 tells us that, that God knows every single word that we speak before it ever comes to our mouths to say it. Right? Genesis tells us that God made us in his own image and he created us to be in relationship with one another and with our creator. Matthew 10, Jesus speaks these words and reminds us that, that God knows, our Father in heaven knows the amount of hairs on our very head. He knows things about us that we don't even understand. And I point this out because too often we believe that God is just out there to get us. We think that he's just caring about us making always the right decisions. And while he does want us to make good choices in life that bring good to the, us and others, at times we forget that he cares for us, that he's loving us. So can we trust what the Bible tells us of who he is? Can we trust that God knows us better than ourselves? Can we trust that he knows how to satisfy our wants and our needs even better than we do and in better ways? Because I think the plans that God has for us can be the most fulfilling we could ever have in this life. So Jesus doesn't say, follow me and I'll tell you everything that happens. He doesn't say that to us, but he instead invites us to have a relationship with him to listen to him, to trust him, to walk alongside him every step of life. When life seems confusing, when it doesn't seem like it's making sense and you don't really know what the next step is, to continue trusting that he's good, to continue keeping your eyes set on him. He is our true satisfaction and our true sustenance in this life. We can find true meaning and joy. It's all found in him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your great love and goodness to us. God, we thank you that you sent your son born in human flesh to come down to us. Father, not because you came to judge us, but you came to love us, to save us. And Father, there are many ways that we get that mixed up, that we need to save ourselves, that we need to do the work ourselves. But Father, you've told us that the work is to believe in you, to trust you, to go forwards in relationship with you. So Father, help us to do that. We recognize that we fail in so many ways, and even in that, God, you are faithful and you are good to draw us back to you every single time. So, Father, we thank you for the great gift that you've given to us in your Son, and we thank you that we can know you as our sustenance and as our satisfaction in life. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.